All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, everybody. Prophet is Dawn, I'm back again, and and I decided to separate these um, two messages out, uh, part one and part two, because part one I had to get some stuff off my chest, but part two we're gonna jump right into the Word. We're gonna jump into the Word, and I thank God for His Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. We thank and praise You this morning for Your Spirit, and we invite You to enter in and have Your way. Let Your will be done. We thank You for this Word. We celebrate You in advance for what we shall receive, and we receive from You. We receive from you. Father God, help help us to open up our hearts to receive. Father, I ask even now, Lord God, that you will speak through me. Father God, that you will overtake my thoughts, Lord God, and help me, Lord God, to project what you desire for your people to receive. Use me, Lord. Use me according to your will, your purpose, and your plan. Amen. All right, so let's get into this word. We're going to come from Jude, the first chapter, and I believe Jude is probably the um, one of the, the smallest books in the Bible. I think Obadiah may be the smallest, but Jude only has one chapter, about 25 verses, and I'm going to attempt to read through uh, the Word of God, and I'm coming from the Message Bible, uh, but I want you all to stick with me for a minute. Because this is a very prominent word, and, 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 and it amazes me oftentimes when we get into our Bible and we can hear and feel the, the plight of uh, the early day saints and some of the things that they were enduring and going through, and we still face them today. Sometimes it's like, you know, Judas and, and other authors of the New Testament, even the Old Testament, are speaking straight to our day and time right now. But God is all-knowing. So let's get into the Word. The Word of God says, I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ and brother to James, writing to those loved by God the Father, called to keep safe by Jesus Christ. He says, relax, everything's going to be all right. Rest, everything's coming together. Open your hearts. Love is on the way. He goes on to say, Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, even begging, that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. He goes on to say, What has happened? is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures warned us that this would happen. Who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of God with sheer license, which means doing away with Christ Jesus, our Lord and only Master. He goes on to say, I'm laying this out as clearly as I can, even though you once knew all this well enough and shouldn't need reminding. Here it is in brief. The master saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Later, he destroyed those who defected. 
And you know the story of the angels who didn't stick to their post, abandoning it for their other darker missions. But they are now chained and jailed in a black hole until the great judgment day. Sodom and Gomorrah, which went to sexual rack and ruin, along with the surrounding cities that acted just like them, are another example. Burning and burning and never burning up, they serve still as a stock warning. This is exactly the same program of these latest infiltrators. Dirty sex, rule, and rulers thrown out, glory dragged in the mud. The archangel David, I'm sorry, the archangel Michael, who went to the mat with the devil as they fought over the body of Moses, wouldn't have dared level him with a blasphemous curse but says simply, no, you don't. God will take care of you. But these people sneer at anything they can't understand and by doing whatever they feel like doing, living by animal instinct only, they participate in their own destruction. I'm fed up with them. They've gone down Cain's road. They've been sucked into Balaam's era by greed. They canceled out in Korah's rebellion. These people are warts on your love feast as you worship and eat together. They're giving you a black eye, carousing shamelessly, grabbing everything that isn't nailed down. They're puffs of smoke pushed by gusts of wind. Late autumn trees stripped clean of leaf and fruit. Doubly dead, pulled up by the roots, wild ocean waves leaving nothing on the beach but the foam of their shame. Lost stars in outer space on their way to the black hole. Enoch the seventh of Adam prophesied to them, Look, the master comes with thousands of holy angels to bring judgment against them all, convicting each person of every defiling act of shameless sacrilege, of every dirty word they have spewed of their pious filth. These are the grumpers, the bellyachers, grabbing for the the biggest piece of the pie, talking big, saying anything they think will get them ahead. But remember, dear friend, that the apostles of our master, Jesus Christ, told us this would happen. He said, in the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make a religion of their own whims and lust. These are the ones who split the churches thinking only of themselves. There's nothing to them, no sign of the Spirit. But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of the Master, Jesus Christ, this is the unending love 
the real life. Amen. Go easy on those who hesitate in faith. In faith. Go easy on those who hesitate in faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sin- sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. And now to him who can keep you on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence, fresh and celebrating to our one God, our only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our master, be glory, majesty, strength, and rule before all time, and now and to the end of time. Amen. <laughs> Ooh, what a word. What a word. What a word. I thank you, God, for the reading of your word. I thank you for the life of your word. And I thank you for the manifestation of the life of your word in each and every one of our lives that we receive your instruction and that we are able to live it out. Aren't you glad about it? I thank God. Took me less than 10 minutes to read that word. And I pray that it was a blessing to each and every one of you. All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What an awesome, awesome word. What an awesome word. So we're going to dig into it. And I'm so excited about what God is doing and that he would give us such a great word. And man, I had to get my uh, cough drops because my throat is just getting a little dry. Uh, So if y'all hear me smacking a little bit, forgive me, but I got to get it, get it in there. Uh, Let's, let's talk about the book of Jude. Um, And I'm, and like I said, I'm so excited about what God is doing. And when we get into the life path, uh, apostolic agape house of prayer, when we get into the physical house, wherever God is sending us to, uh, the very first order of business is I want to do a mass um, uh, baptism, mass revival baptism uh, to bring souls into the kingdom. Amen. I thank God. I, I see this thing. I see it uh, in, in a great and magnificent way. And when I say great and magnificent, I'm not talking about hundreds of thousands of millions of people. Uh, coming in, <laughs> and if, if however God wants to do it, I'm receptive of it. Uh, but that's not in my mind. Uh, the what I think about great, because if there's one soul that is one to Christ, when we come into the house, I would be so grateful. I would be so grateful. But I see God doing it. I really do. All right. So what what is this book of Jude? Um, talking about. First of all, let's learn a little bit about uh, Jude. Uh, Jude is is the brother. He's James' brother. He told us that. And we all know that James is Jesus' brother. So that would make Jude uh, Jesus' half-brother. And um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was studying this um, scripture, and I'm just keeping it real, because, you know, I read shade like a tree. I said, nah, I wonder if Jude was being a little a little shady, you know, uh, straddly, 
because most of his references were from the Old Testament. And um, as he was speaking to uh, a body of believers uh, who were more than likely uh, Jewish, right, and, and being converted into their Christian faith, um, but he was speaking to them, but he was he was pulling from the Jewish references, right? So, so the Old Testament and, and some of the the other books that they referenced outside of the Bible. <gasps> yes, they did. They did back in the day. They referenced other books. For those of you to think that it, you just got to get in the Bible, the the Bible is the unadulterated Word of God. It is the source of our knowledge, right? Everything that we know needs to come from the Bible. But there are other books of knowledge, history books, you know. So anyway, uh, so Jude was, he was Jesus' half-brother. Um, and he, his name, I read somewhere that said his name <coughs> translated or was also common with the name Judah, Judah. So, so praise uh, was associated with his name. Um, yet, he didn't position himself as the brother of Christ, right? So during his ministry, he he came as someone that was common, right? Common, look. I'm just Jew. <laughs> I'm James' brother. You know, you you can discern the rest. But he was a very humble, humble spirit, and and I can I can relate to Jude because at the end of the day, his goal was to help the early day saints understand the apostasy and the um, attack against the very core of the Christian faith. He he may have written this book, uh, you know, maybe a few generations after Christ's death or, or a few decades is what I'm trying to say. Not generations, but a few decades after Christ's death. So he was reminding them, he wanted to empower them to know that as Christians... We not only have the responsibility, but we have the power to contend uh, with the faith. There's there's something that we ought to be doing to ensure that our faith is untainted. Because at that time, there were a lot of false prophets and and there were people similar to what we're seeing in the church today. They were building religions around their own lust. And, and what I'm reminded of is sometimes, I and I, I, look, I used to be the one that would follow a lot of these uh, ministries that had a, a core focus, right? So for instance, I remember... Mike Murdoch and uh, and his ministry around wisdom and 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 prosperity and gain and 
the teachings or the doctrines associated with his ministry. While he had nuggets of truth, but he was building a religion based on his own lust. And I and I say that with um, boldness because I, this mess has got to stop. God is sending us not necessarily to reform them because it's not about reforming the individual, but ensuring that the church, that the life path apostolic agape house of prayer is walking according to how God desires us and the body of Christ, right? But we see this and I I just, my mind went to, you know, other ministries uh, that, that I've followed over the years when they wanted to build these platforms and to become these mega preachers with these mega churches and they would have their uh, um, claim to fame. And it would be, they would take one element of the, of the faith and put an emphasis on that and that would build out their ministry. And um, it's, it's just sad. It's sad but it is a reality. So when when he started talking about what they were experiencing, I'm like, Lord, we still see that today. All of these false prophets, I'm telling you, I just got so annoyed with seeing all these people once we went through the pandemic and nobody could get to the churches anymore and get those uh, prayer lines going um, to get people to come <laughs> stand in the line and give a hundred dollars and get a hundredfold. What it transferred into or transitioned into was people putting up their um cash apps. Ooh, that ooh, that annoys me. Now now why in the world would I give to to you just because you say God called you? <laughs> Y'all better try the spirit by the spirits. And how does that benefit the kingdom? How does that benefit the kingdom when you're taking the funds and the finances that we're giving you and you're building an empire for yourself? God is not pleased with that mess. And a lot of these false prophets, I'm telling you, folk be like, oh, God, increase your bank account. God going to put millions of dollars in your bank account. Listen, listen. Now, there may be some extreme circumstances, but if you wake up tomorrow with a million dollars in your bank account, you better trace and track it all the way back to the source of where it came from. Because if you spend that money, y'all better ask somebody. (laughs) Y'all better ask the lady. It's the lady that did that. She got millions of dollars in her bank account. I'm sure that woman was like, and I don't know the outcome of her situation, but I just remember she got brought up on some charges. They wanted their money back. I think it was a, um, a, a finance company or something like that. She investment firm. I can't even remember. It was probably one of the big ones. And uh, she found millions of dollars. And that lady started spending that money. And they said, "Uh uh-uh, give us our money back. 
and not just our money. You going to jail. All right, Jude, in, in, in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. So basically he's saying, look, at first I was coming. I, I just wanted to write y'all about our salvation. Hey, how y'all doing? Yes, I'm doing. We all good because this is something that we love. But now, because of what's going on in the church, I got to shift the topics. We need to talk about contending for your faith. And what exactly does that mean? What does that mean? That means contend for what was taught by Christ, the, the complete doctrine that he passed on to the apostles. Because now we got false teachers out there that make it look real. They make this mess look real. They make it seem like what they're teaching is for real. You got folk in the pulpit, I'm telling you, I just, I shut down a lot of things lately. Like I can't even ingest it into my gates. Like I can't watch it. I can't hear it. I can't, nothing. I I just shut them down. Where it used to be some that I would just listen to just so I can hear where they coming from. But at the end of everything you say is is reverting back to you and reverting back to us giving something to you. No, God ain't pleased with that mess. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The good news that tells us that we have salvation. That we can live saved knowing what our eternal state will be. That we will be reconciled with the Father. No matter what this world takes us through. That we will know him beyond the parting of our sins, not just through our sins, but we will know him. We will really, really know him and be reconciled with him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Making disciples, God gave us a playbook. He gave us a blueprint for how we should live as Christians. He told us, he laid it out. And it ain't got nothing to do with swindling other people out of what God has blessed them with. It it makes no sense. My husband used to always talk about these preachers and I'd be the first one to stand up for them. Some of them, I'd be like, well, you know, he say, well, people are, they're taking from poor people. Like he, he, he could see it. He could see it. They are taking out of the mouths of the poor to benefit themselves. I used to be a part of a ministry and I'm not knocking them or anything. I'm just sharing a fact. And they had a uh, pastor's day or something, founder's day. I can't remember what we called it back then, but it was every Thursday. We, we would bring in canned goods to the first family. And and that whole ideal or concept of the first family, the hierarchy that we've designed in the African-American church is ungodly. It is ungodly. We are not kings, peasants, and servants to one another. We are all to serve. And those who are the 
at the at the highest level of leadership are the greatest of the servants. So let's just be clear. But anyway, we would have we would we would have to bring in, you know, canned goods or whatever, food or whatever. And some that's listening, y'all know. Y'all know we had to. And I remember it was a time where I was struggling. Like I was struggling so hard uh, when I, and this was back when I lived in Detroit and I was struggling to even feed my children. And so in that struggle, I would, there would be times that I would have to feed my kids whatever food we had and I wouldn't eat. And I'm telling a true story, true story. This is why I don't put myself above anybody because I know where God brought me from. And I know that it is not a doubt that I'm where I am because of the grace of God. I'm telling you the truth. But anyway, for a few weeks, I wasn't able to meet the obligation. And I mean, honestly, I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed and wasn't able to bring, you know, anything. And I will never forget. I will never, ever forget the first lady of the church. She got up and was speaking and she began to speak about, you know, how people were ungrateful and how people didn't respect the pastor and how people didn't respect the church and how dare you not contribute your part. But see, it's stuff like that that helped me to understand what not to do, first of all, (laughs) as a pastor. (laughs) But also how we allow our own needs to overshadow the responsibility that we have to the church. Now, if I'm, if I am gathering goods, it's not for my household. If I'm gathering finances or or soliciting for funds, it's not for my household. It is for the body of Christ and the community. It is the community. It it. Look, uh, what is it? Because uh, Bishop uh, at my last church, and I'm, Lord, please don't let me call out names. I'm trying not to call out names. But anyway, he would always quote the scripture from Malachi. Was it three and six? I got to get back to it. How how have I robbed God? Uh, how can a man rob God? Let me, let me go. Because if I don't, the way my brain works, I'm not going to be able to move on if I don't get this scripture. I think it was Malachi. Malachi. Three. Maybe three and eight or maybe three and ten. So let's look at Malachi three. Was a man robbed. Uh, and I'm going to get out of this one and do the... And get out of the Message Bible, get into the King James. Three and eight. Let me see. All right, all right, right, right. Let me get into the in the King James. It, it says, "Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me." But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And the word of God says, in tithes and offerings. And then it goes on to say, ye are cursed with a curse. 
for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. It goes on in, in 3 and 10, it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. It says, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. All and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. All right. So that was the scripture that he would oftentimes read uh, to the congregation when right before we would do tithes and and offering. And, And it's okay that he did that. I'm not judging that. But I'm just making the point that in that scripture, in that in that word, what what the prophet was speaking to was the priests and the prophets that were robbing God. That word was not specific to the people. It was to those who were robbing God because the people were bringing the tithe into the storehouse and they were taking the the, the best parts. And they were taking, they were skimming off the top. They were taking the best parts. And see, in that time, the role and the function of the prophet was to to be the overseer of the resources that they had. So they would bring all of the resources to the prophet or the priest or whomever was the leader. And they would be responsible for evenly distributing out the, the, the blessings, right? Evenly, so that every household had their share because every household contributed. And that was the intention, but they were not doing that. They were not doing that. So a lot of times we, we use these scriptures for our own objectives. And I'm not by any means questioning the integrity or the character of this minister, this preacher, this bishop who used that. I just know that I have a clear understanding of where that scripture was coming from. But back to when I was in that other ministry back in Detroit, and there was an expectation and I was royally embarrassed, right, with my my children. And I'm knowing my situation and my husband, over the years, he would look at ministries like that and say, they are taking from these poor people. And they're, you know, uh, putting, stashing this in their own pockets and, 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 and making their own gain off of the, the efforts of other people. And he just despised it. And I remember times that we would just go back and forth. And I would say, well, if they, you know, if they want to sell their, their uh, uh, messages on tape or CD or however they were selling it for the people, then, then that's how they get their money. It's not you know, through the offerings, through the church or the tithes. And we would just go back and forth. And I was just so, I was so green and immature and ignorant to a lot of things. And my husband, you know, because he's 
he's older, number one. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he had a street sense about himself. You know, and he saw things. And now I'm like looking back and I'm like, yeah, God never intended for us to be that way. It's the the way I look at it is we ought not be, um, you know, just fat in resources. Right. We ought not be fat in resources when there is such a deficit in the land. So I mean it like this. I saw something the other day where someone from the UN made a made a comment that if all of the billionaires in the world would just contribute a percentage of their income, right? And not out of their uh, gross, but, but out of their net income. If they would just give us a percentage of their, um, and I don't know why my brain is not clicking in right now, but but the, 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 the overage, right? Just give us some of what y'all got to give then we could resolve world hunger, right? And he said, with just $6 billion, that's where he put a cap on it. I said, why you put a cap on it? Let them give what they want to give. But anyway, um, one of the the uh, world-renowned billionaires, Elon Musk, which I got my eyes on him, but anyway... He comes out and says, okay, challenge accepted. But only if you open up your books and let us see where uh, where you're going to be spending this money. He said, it, I'll give it, but it has to be, uh, you know, open book accounting. So I can see what's going on, an open source or something like that, he said. But anyway, same thing in the church. Same thing in the church. I feel like this. There's no way that we ought to have as much as we have. And anybody, anybody around us should be suffering. So here's how I look at it. I've been in ministries where people were so um, poor that, like I said, I shared my testimony. I couldn't even eat so that my children can eat. We have a responsibility and an obligation in We have a responsibility and an obligation in the body of Christ to be our brother and our sister's keeper. So what you was talking about in that third chapter uh, let me get back to where I was reading. What, what he was talking about was, he said, look, I wanted to write y'all about the salvation that we share, but now I got to talk about contending for the faith because, see, we have allowed these false prophets to become the face of the church, and they truly are not. They truly are not. They are perpetuating their own uh, agendas. And they're doing what they want to do, not what God has called them to do. He said in Jude 17 through 19, he said, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide us, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They ain't got the spirit. They don't have the spirit of God operating in them. And we turn a blind eye. Y'all know some of these people are not living right. They ain't doing right. Scandal all in their church. You know they cheating on their wives or cheating on their husbands or, you know, participating and stuff. I was so devastated going to see my girl um, Jennifer uh, Hudson and and uh, the Respect movie, and, and they did the little uh, Respect uh, movie, and I watched it, and it was, it was very entertaining. I liked it. But uh, the allegations about C.L. Franklin came up again about all the stuff they were doing. You know, he was colluding with all of these, um, the famous artists of the time, you know, and, and they said how they were doing all these things that were ungodly. And this man had one of the biggest churches in uh, the city of Detroit. And these folk having all kinds of stuff. Now, I don't know it to be true. I'm just saying uh, what was coming out in that movie. And it is such a horrible, horrible detriment. And we got people like me or people like you who you know God can trust you, but we sitting back and saying, oh, no, we're not going to step up because we worried about how folk going to feel about what we're doing and who's going to support. No, step up. It's time for you to fight. It's time for you to contend for the faith. I thank God, and I say this oftentimes, I thank him for the example that he gave me of a natural father, a physical father, a father in the flesh. I grew up in a two-parent household. I was a lot of, you know, whatever we went through, but regardless of that, I had both of my parents, so I was able to experience their love, and I was able to experience that love as a, as a manifestation of God's love in the physical. But I'm telling you one thing about me. I was very loyal to my daddy. I was very loyal to my dad. Even regardless of what we went through, it's like beyond that, <laughs> you can't tell me nothing about my daddy. I don't care who you are, what you think, whatever. What he say is, oh, that's the bottom line. And I was that child. I was that one. You couldn't tell me nothing about my daddy. <laughs> so I take the same approach with the kingdom. No, you're not going to tell me that it is okay. Now, now this is what I'm saying. And I'm going to be very, very clear because I don't make excuses for nothing. I live by the same standards. I have to live by the same standards of the Bible. And you cannot tell me that you're walking around here living however you want to live and in sin. In sin. Sodom and Gomorrah, come on now. He gave us the examples. He gave us the examples in the Bible. Sexual immorality, we out here stealing and killing and all of this kind of stuff, and yet you're going to stand up and act like you're supposed to be a, a representation of Christ? No. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
what was it? I, I, I can't stand the way my brain functions, so I'm asking y'all to pray because I really believe something happened to me when I went through this uh, COVID. And people say COVID ain't real. It's real, y'all. Now, I ain't did the vaccine yet. I'm still on the fence. I don't know whether I should or not. But uh, I ain't no anti-vaxxer. I ain't no anti-masker. You do what you do. I do what I do. And when I'm around you, guess what? I was I was COVID before COVID. I was COVID safe before COVID. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> I, I'm the one that wouldn't mind walking around with gloves on and a mask. Um, but anyway, that's just me. But uh, what happened, I think, is that I lose my thought. I lose my train of thought. My, I have the mental fogginess. All of these symptoms that people are talking about, I really, really suffer through them. And it's not to say that I wasn't going through them before um, COVID because <laughs> I was. I think that's what made it worse for me. But um, anyway, I um, I suffer from it. So y'all forgive me if I might lose something, but trust me, the Holy Spirit will bring it right back. All right, so so in in five through seven, I think somewhere along the line, he started talking about giving them examples of things that they've seen in the past. And I think it's key for us as Christians, as we develop in our faith to understand what he's trying to get across here. And what he's saying here is we've had the examples of when God saved the people out of the land of Egypt. But what did he do? He destroyed the defectors. That's very key. That's very key because I used to have a challenge uh, because I, I am a thinker. I'm telling you, I'm a thinker. I used to be, when I used to be a kid, I remember just sitting quietly and just sitting there just thinking, 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 thinking. I wish I had that brain <laughs> from back then because sometimes I can't think no more. But when I was a kid, I just used to sit and just think about stuff and, um, you know, just, just consider it. But one of the things that in my early Christian walk that I just really realized is how God brought revelation to certain sets of religion. Like in certain sense that it's like, hands down, you can't tell me nothing about nothing they say in this area because they have revelation knowledge. It's like, hey, they know it. So for instance, Catholicism, they have a higher level understanding of those things spiritual. They do. God gave it to them. I believe God gave it to them. And they see things, they know things, they understand things, and which is why, in some instances, I will study their um, their uh, understanding. I, I will. I, I promise you, I will read certain things, certain articles, certain books, you know, th- that is based on the foundation of their uh, principles and their knowledge. I will try to understand because I know God gave them revelation. They know about this demonic warfare like nobody else, like no other religion, like nobody else. Hands down, Catholic, they got it, they know it. But on the flip side of that, with all of the knowledge that they have, they 
they, in essence, because they fell from their post and position in the Christian faith, and you see so much that has come out of that to, to, to where they no longer have the spiritual authority. They no longer have their position as Christian leaders in the world, right? So we see that, but it reminds me of here where Jude is saying, he saved the people, but he destroyed those who, who defected. So it's kind of like to whom much is given, much is required. It's like, I, and, and I hate to use this as the analogy, but this is the only thing that's coming to mind. Because the other thing about me is I love, I love the little gangster movies. I love The Godfather. And I shouldn't, but Lord, all right. But it, it's it's almost like it's worse to be in it than to be around it and know about it. But once you in it and you, um, you know, don't do according, they'll take you out. And it was the same with, um, you know, and 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 with Moses and the children of Israel when they went into the wilderness. And God had saved them out of the hands of the Pharaoh. And he saved them out of the land of Egypt and did all of that. And then here you got the ones that want to rise up against uh, Moses. Moses came down off the mountain. He said, guess what? He said, whoever, (laughs) any of y'all, y'all still ain't getting it together? All right, kill them all. He said, destroy God, destroy them all. And then think about the angels. Think about the angels who came to the earth and they wanted to have relations. This was before Noah's Ark. They wanted to have relations with the human women. They said, ooh, look at them, they look good. So when he talk about the... Um, when Jude is talking about the angels who didn't stick to their post and they abandoned their post so they can go have sex with the humans and create all of these giants. And y'all were, y'all read the word. And if y'all didn't go back and read it, cause it's a good story. It's a good story. I love it. But what happened to them? They're chained and jailed in a black hole until Judgment Day. And then when Judgment Day comes, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. To whom much is given, much is required. And when God is giving you revelation, he's giving you charge to do a thing, but you go and do the, the polar opposite of what he's called you to do. Sodom and Gomorrah, all of that sexual sin. And it seems like the church is plagued so much with sexual sin. And I'm not saying that I would prefer one sin over the other. I'm just making an observation. It's like, why, why, why we ain't, you know, hearing about scandals where, you know, folks doing some other stuff. Every time it's something crazy. It's around some kind of sexual skin. I, I mean, sin. 
I remember one uh, uh, lady, one uh, apostle, I'm trying to figure out what they used to call her, apostle, prophet, whatever. Uh, she had a, a huge ministry. Oh my God, huge ministry and had a lot of followers. And, and I even followed her for a season. And sure enough, when the enemy brought her down, it was from having tapes of her with, with other male pastors and, you know, the whole whole little group of them <laughs> got brought down. And it's like, y'all know better. Y'all know better and, and, and better yet. Don't nobody want to see that? Somebody is looking at you as a spiritual mother and they got to see that mess. I mean, come on now. Consider something <laughs> other than yourself. I I remember I had a friend, and she might be listening now because I, uh, I was saying some stuff on my podcast one day, and, and she had the nerve to send me some uh, inbox message. I, I blocked her from messaging me anymore. But anyway, she had the audacity to send me a text message that someone sent to her of a body part. And I, I promise you, I, I didn't even know what I was looking at when she first sent it to me. And then my husband, I showed it to my husband. I said, what in the world? And that thing messed me up for weeks, you know, because I had seen it. And I was so disturbed, like to the point where the pit of my stomach, I was sick. I, every time I think about it, so I did just really get it out of my head. But I was so mad. I said, now you know that I'm a woman of God. Why would you, even if someone exposed you to that, why would you expose that to me? But that told me all I needed to know about this individual. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, uh-uh, we, we can't walk alongside each other in ministry. Something wrong with you. Something is a little off about you but but stuff just always manifests y'all be careful it always manifests in these sexual sins and 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 it ain't even worth it i'm telling you i I promise you that having a closer walk with jesus and walking according to his will outside of sexual sin is is greater than any sexual pleasures that you can receive in the earth because guess what it don't last long it don't, it don't last long. And I'm not just talking about the act. I'm talking about the relationship. Because the wages of sin is death. And it don't always mean a physical death. You sow sin into a relationship, you're going to yield death. And so while you thinking that, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to use the, the pulpit to pull women or pull men or whatever. It's not going to last. It is not going to last. And that's why Jude was was really uh, admonishing them to contend for the faith because at this point we had so many that were misrepresenting the faith. He said, fight for what you know. Stop letting them represent us. They are not us. They are not us. Now, I'm not saying that you go and try to overthrow what they're doing over there. I'm just saying you do it better over here so that the people who are really looking, the Bible already tells us that the path is narrow for those who are going to to be able to 
receive salvation, the remnant that is within the remnant is not going to be a massive amount. It's going to be few. It's going to be few because not everyone is willing to shed off this earth or this world for salvation. But what Judah is saying and what I'm trying to convey today uh, is that we need to contend for the faith. We need to contend for the faith because God is worth it. He's worth it. And in what we're doing at uh, the church and what we're attempting to do is to pull people together so that we can be the church that God has called us to be and so that we can be the true representation of Christ. But we have to know what our role is. We got to know what the importance of the church and the community is. You got you to gotta start there. You got to start there. You got to stop looking to others and stop looking at others and saying, oh, they got to do it. They, they need to do it. Are you a Christian? Then if you are a Christian, then you have a role of importance in the church. You got to look deep down into yourself. You got to look deep into yourself and you got to arise and serve the needs of the people in Christ Jesus' name. Not just one time, not just two times, but we got to do this until the coming of Christ. The church, we got work to do. We got so much work to do. And see, we get stuck because we have acquired so much knowledge and so much understanding. I mean, we we don't have to rely on ignorance anymore because we live in the information age. We can get as much intel and as much information as we want or as we need, but we got information overload. <laughs> David even told us that we would our knowledge. And there will come a time where our knowledge would increase. Our knowledge. But what good is that? If you can't apply it. We need to understand what the church really is. What the church is. I hear a lot of times people making the uh, comparison of the church and, and the emergency room or the hospital being a place for the sick. The church is a place for the sick. We have to understand and embrace our role in the world because it's not going to change. He's not going to look at us one day and say, my good and faithful servant, and whom I'm well pleased if you ain't do what you were supposed to do as a Christian in the earth. We are supposed to feel a void that only we can feel. Only we can feel. Think about it like this. If your car breaks down, you're not going to take your car up to Walmart Superstore 
and say, my car broke down, I need a mechanic to fix it. Now, Walmart may have all of the tools that you need. It may have some of the supplies. But Walmart is not the mechanic shop. It ain't the car shop. Walmart is a place that you can get the tools, but you can't get the service. A lot of y'all doing that same thing with the church. A lot of y'all going to people, y'all going to these uh, self-help and all of this mess to get the tools, but you're not coming to where you need to get the service. The church is where the service and the tools, because if you go to a, a, a mechanic shop, they got the materials, they got the supplies, they got the tools, they got everything and the person that can do the work. I believe that we emphasize too much in the church on stuff that ain't serving God. <laughs> I be, I be trying to pick up on these little help, um, help, these little hip sayings that people say. But I heard somebody say something the other day that ain't serving me. I guess that's a little thing they say now. Nah, that ain't serving me. If it ain't serving you, let it go. We need to know our role and understand what, what the purpose of the church is. It ain't it ain't these mega churches. And I, you know, let me say it the right way. Because some mega churches have their place. But some just being mega to be mega because we so business-minded, so charismatic. We want to stroke somebody's emotions. But that ain't what God called us to do. He called us to meet the needs of the people, not to make folk feel good. We got to touch their, you know, their physical, their emotion, and their spiritual. I I said this the other day. You know, you got so many um, churches they sit up and they done got rid of testimony service. But they'll have these big founder days. Who, who, who founded your church? Jesus founded my church. That's who I'm going to worship. And I want to be able to thank him. I'm telling you, boy, I tell you. But anyway, we are living in perilous times. We're living in perilous times. Second uh, Timothy 3 and 1, it, it tells us, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. We are in those perilous times. If you don't believe me, turn your TV on. Every time I turn on the TV, they're talking about mass shootings or now we got this pandemic and, you know, the economy going down and uh, molestations and rapes on on high and, and murders and civil unrest and police brutality. We are living in perilous times. And the church must be a refuge, a place where not just that the community can come, but we can come. We sit up and have all these services throughout the week. I'm telling you one thing I appreciate. I appreciate 
every ministry that I was attached to. So let me be clear about that. I would never put down the structure, but I will share experiences. I will share experiences and I'll be open and honest about those experiences. But I love all of my leaders, every leader I've ever sat under. And I remember the way that the very first church I joined, how the services were structured. And we for sure had a prayer service every week. And I'm not just talking about an hour of prayer. I'm talking about a whole service. I think it was Tuesday night prayer. It may have been Tuesday night prayer, Thursday night Bible study. And then we had worship on Sundays. And I like that model. And I believe I'm going to incorporate that into our church services, whether it's Tuesday, Thursday, but I know for sure, I feel like God is leading me to a Saturday worship service. Now, I'm not overly religious about the Sabbath. Now, don't, don't come messing with me about it, but I just, I just feel compelled. I, and this has been something on my heart for years. Um, I can't even remember. Oh, oh, um, it was a book. Oh, I got to remember that book. But anyway, they talk so much about the Sabbath, Sabbath and it intrigued me and it gave me a different revelation about what God intended. So I do believe that pulling together like-minded saints on a Saturday for the purpose of worship uh, is aligned and in line with God's will. Uh, so that's that's what what I will be doing, uh, but looking at the ministry and how we set it up, it's like what is our job? What is what is our job as Christians? I was telling my baby the other day and a few other people. I just I just can't help talking about God. But I was saying, you know, we go to we go to a job every day, five days a week. For those of you who are employed, we understand that. And we go into our our job and we go there to represent the bottom line of our company, the company's goals and objectives. We're not going in for our own vain glory or agendas. It don't matter. The bottom line of what they want you to do and how you're going to contribute to that is what's important, but then we come into the church and feel like it's our social, you know, gathering or our social club. We have work to do. We have a responsibility. I don't, I mean, I, I know that God has called me to pastor. I know he's called me to pastor. And when I say pastor, pastor as an overseer, pastor as a um, encourager, as a mentor, as a coach. But am I necessarily the one that God will have preach or teach the word on occasion? Yes. But but God sent us all to do a work. He sent us all to do a work. I'm just a leader of that. 
I'm the leader. So I'm looking for ministers. I'm looking for preachers. I'm looking for teachers so that we all can come in and to do the work that God has called us to do. But I see my role as to shepherd, to lead, to feed, to cause, to eat, to to be the one that guides. But anyway, I was telling my daughter, I said, you know, when we go into these jobs, we go understanding our roles. And we, we have to perform accordingly. I had a uh, meeting yesterday. I had lunch with my former leader who actually hired me into my current company and is such a phenomenal man of God. He, he has such a generous and hard and sweet spirit. And he and I met for lunch and I brought my son with me because I wanted my son to meet a man of God who was a leader who was actually doing something. I wanted him to see his future. (laughs) But we were talking and he started breaking down uh, the pie structure on my job and how um, how they assess the performance of each employee, which by the way, the company sees their employees as assets. Right, So they see them as assets. So just like inventory or anything else, you have to care for, nurture, and, and, and uh, maintain. You know, so, so they see them the same. But anyway, he said pie. So let me see if I can remember. Performance, influence, and exposure. So he said they had this pie system that was the measure or the assessment of a person's success within the organization. So performance should represent 65% of how you're assessed. How do you perform? Do you do what you were brought in to do? Do Are you doing it well? You know, so that's 65%. He said, and if if that's 65%, then your uh, influence or impression uh, would be about uh, 25%. Okay, 25%. So, so you will, it's about how do people um, see you? How are you able to get things done? It's the how, how, you know, and, and the how can't be, you know, you get it done and leave bodies behind, but the how and, you know, are you collaborating? Are you, you know, um, networking and things like that. And then finally, the exposure should be about 10% because he said you don't want too much exposure uh, with leadership in, in the sense that now they know the intricate detail <laughs> of what you do and how you do and, you know, everything don't form out pretty. But anyway, when he started think- when he started sharing that, I started thinking about our role and our function as Christians. Because, see, for so many years, and I shared my testimony about my walk with God and how I got to the point where my relationship with him started to grow, 
was one day I heard him say, when will it be enough that I love you? Because I was so focused on the rejection that I received from the world. I was focused on the rejection I got from my dad, you know, my mom, my siblings, and, you know, school, and my husband, and my children. Well, not my children at that point. I thought I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread to them little jokers, and they was the best thing to me, so... So I didn't realize that. But, you know, uh, family members and things like that, I was going through so much and in and, and such a state of rejection and, and just feeling, you know, unwanted and unneeded. And, and, and I struggled with that for so many years. I share my testimony and I'll share it again, you know, going through bouts of depression and suicide and things like that. And um, God said to me one day, and that's where I began to grow my relationship with him because it was like, okay, I don't care anymore about all of these other things. I love you because you first loved me. And that was the pivotal point in my relationship, but I still had not gotten to where I needed to be in serving him by serving his people. That took a few more years for me to understand. But when my uh, former manager, when he started breaking it down about that pie thing, I said, well, wait a minute, I got to look at it. How am I doing as a Christian? What is my responsibility? What is my role as a Christian? Because I know that the church is needed. The church is absolutely needed in the community and the world. God has called me to pastor the church. He's called me to shepherd the church. And I, I, I stand firmly behind that because I hear him. I'm clear. This is the direction that he wants me to take. So what is our responsibility? We have to come together. We have to come together as baptized Christians. We got to come together on a regular cadence, on a regular cadence. I joined uh, the Christian Network on my job. Can y'all believe that? Let me say it a little louder. The Christian Network on my job. Never in a day have I ever experienced anything like this, nor did I think it was, um, did I think it was possible. (laughs) These people have a Christian Network. And on top of that, they have regular Bible study. And so I joined it uh, last, well, this this week was my first time participating. Last week I joined because it was brought to my attention. I said, go ahead now. And they meet on a regular basis. We have to meet and come together to be one another's strength. We have a responsibility to preserve the gospel, to preserve the gospel, not just by spewing the word of God, but being a living epistle and also standing up for fact and truth. Like y'all know, some of these people that are representing the gospel, they ain't got no business representing the gospel. But because y'all want to get stuck and, oh, did God really call me? You don't want to stand up and do what God has called you to do. We need true representation of the body of Christ. And if God has called you to do something, 
If God has called you to be somebody, which I'm telling you the truth, if you are part of this ministry, God, God sent me to leaders. He sent me to leaders. So that in and of itself means that you are to lead. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to share the gospel, to explain the relationship between faith and works and how that impacts the Christian Christian life. We have to live in unrepentant. I mean, no, 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 no. We have to live in repentance and not unrepentant sin. We have to affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. Stop being scared to say stuff. Stop being scared to say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. Stop being afraid to say Jesus. And like I said, we got to live it out. We got to live it out. And we have to draw others to Christ. Share your faith. Share your testimony. Stop being shy and quiet about stuff. Y'all talk about anything else. Tell somebody people are dying. People are broken. They need to hear the good news. God has been so good. He's been too good to us. We have to tell it. We have to tell it. And sometimes I get reluctant to share my faith with people because I don't want people to feel like, oh, I'm trying to convert them or trying to convince them or draw them. But you know what? One day I got to thinking, I said, people don't filter what they say to me. (laughs) Through a whole bunch of thoughts. So I'm going to share my faith because you don't know who that person is that was waiting to hear from you your very testimony so that they can overcome by the words of your testimony. Because if he did it for you, he can do it for them. We got to help affirm gospel citizens. Help pull them in. We got to disciple not just others outside of the church, but we got to disciple one another. Speak the truth in love. Help us to live better. Share the gospel. Follow the lead of authority. And know that when we are placed in a place, position of authority, it brings responsibility and accountability. I'm telling you, it it is a work to do. And when I say work, I don't I don't mean it's a um, hard work. What did uh, my my uh, manager yesterday or my leader because I I don't like saying the word boss but it just rolls off of my tongue sometimes I don't like that word boss (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, my leader, uh, when we met for lunch, he quoted and he said Confucius. I can't remember if it was Confucius or not, but he said, if you, if you find a job that you love to do, you'll never work another day in your life. And so while there is work to do, if we love to do it, it won't seem hard. If we love to share our faith, if we, like Jude said, contend for the faith, because we got some, some uh, what they call them, the kids call them ops and, and something else, some posers that's around here acting like they are us and we are them. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And if they are you, then seek deliverance because that ain't what God intends for us. I pray that this was an encouragement to somebody, but I just want to tell you that the safest place in the entire world and beyond is in the perfect will of God, not the permissive will, but being in the perfect will of God. Our lives are not our own. It ain't up to us to decide and determine what we want to do. Who did he design us for? That's the question that we need to ask. What do you want us to do? So I encourage you to get before Christ and understand what it is that you need to be doing in this season. And I want you to take to heart the instruction that Jude has given us to contend for the faith. You be the one to stand up and fight for it. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. And if your faith is not solid, if you're not where you need to be, then get before the Lord and seek deliverance and ask for prayer and ask him to move to elevate you, to take you to a greater place of understanding. Solomon asks for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Seek it. But we got work to do. We got work to do. And for those of you who are listening and you feel compelled to join in on what God has called me to do and called us to do in this region and in this season, And I invite you, come on. We need the help. But if you don't, don't pray against us. Pray for us. And on top of that, find somewhere where you can be a a tangible help to your local church. Start up your own church, whatever it is. But this is not, listen, we all hands on deck in this season. Nobody is to be sitting around doing nothing. Everybody has a responsibility. God is calling the church. He's calling the church to get into posture, get into position. All right. I love you all.
and I pray that you receive something from this. Father God, we thank you for your word. We celebrate you for the listeners, Lord God, for those who have felt compelled to seek you concerning their own destiny and their own salvation. God, I ask that you will answer them immediately and without delay, Lord God, that they will know their purpose and your plan for their lives, Lord Jesus. I thank and praise you, Lord God, for what you have called us to do. I celebrate you, Lord God, that there's nothing missing or broken and that every need is met and provision has been made in advance for the vision that you have given each and every one of us. Lord God, I thank you. I praise you. I honor you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we seal our faith with this prayer and we ask for immediate manifestation of your glory that you will send forth your angels to do that which you have commissioned them to do in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we pray. Thank God and amen.